0: Steve has asked me to read from Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. It's 43 through 45. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil. Treasure brings out, excuse me. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Please bow to me, dear Lord. We just want to thank you for this opportunity to be here today, and for this avenue to speak to you through prayer. Uh, we ask that you be with Steve as he uh, remembers the things that he's learned and that he studied, that he may bring to us. And we ask that we all might focus and listen to what he has to say and that it might be your word that he speaks, and that we all might leave learning something new about you. Uh, we ask that you be with each of us on a daily walk, and just help for us to strive to go closer to you. Uh, we just thank you for all our many blessings, Lord, and your son. Just you let me pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. <sighs> it's good to be here this morning. Is that Holly? There you are. Good to see you again. Our sister Holly is here today, which is great. I haven't seen you in a while. We got some visitors today. Thank you for coming. Appreciate that. Um Boy, are you lucky to be here this Sunday. Last week, am I doing the Fonzie thing? Am I better now? Hey. Um, Last week, we talked about deacons. This week, we're going to talk about ethics. I know what you're thinking. Pinch me, I must be dreaming. It's like Steve is reading my secret diary of the sermons I want to hear. Okay. Well, last week wasn't bad, was it, kids? No, thank you for the one person that agreed with me there. So, okay. This is a weird thing. It seems more like a Sunday morning class topic or a Wednesday night class topic or, you know what, just Steve hanging out kind of topic. But it's something that we all need to talk about because... One of the things I see the Spirit of God doing in this church is changing all of our thinking. All the sermons, all the classes, all the things people are talking about. And what Fred mentioned today is God is changing my thinking and your thinking about our relationship to Him. That God isn't somebody that we begin prayer Jesus name Amen end prayer now I walk around in a world without God which is the way frankly to an extent we had been conducting business before right when you say in Jesus name Amen then God's like poof he's gone God's changing our thinking about him and as Fred is mentioning today we need to be asking all the time God what do you want us to do so the ethics thing goes along with that And there's a reason why we're going through these. The biggest reason is there's been a cultural shift in the United States since about the mid-90s. People used to follow predominantly, tell me what the rules are, just tell me what the rules are. Then in the 90s, kind of things shifted to, um, well, we have to make sure things work out. Whatever works best is... um, We don't have to really worry about the rules, we more worry about the outcomes. And that's been a shift in Western culture is to pay less attention to rules and pay more attention to outcomes. And as a result, things like uh, cheating on tests, cheating at work, cheating on taxes, things like that have gone up. Because like it or not, it's pervasive in our culture to think, we joke about it, but this is actually believed, it's only wrong if you get caught, right? I know that's not right, but that's been that's the cultural shift we've had. And I remember um, working with some teenagers who are like, "Well, everybody else is cheating. You're really going to be, you know, at a huge disadvantage if you don't also cheat." And um, also in things like uh, in business, people say, well, you know, business is business, you have to run a business a certain way or your business won't get ahead. And I know not everybody thinks that way. But, um, well, let's bring up an example. Let's say we had somebody in the church who was went to school, he had a... Uh, He did really well in college, got a really high-paying job, and he's really successful. And he says, look, I want to go be a missionary. So throw away all that learning, all that academic success, all that career success, and go be a missionary in a third-world country somewhere. On the one hand, we could say, well you need to do um, the right thing. But what is the right thing? What is the right thing in that situation? Aren't there other guys who could go be missionaries to a third world country? Isn't If you look at, okay, what works best for the church, wouldn't it be better, this guy's making a lot of money, wouldn't it be better for him to stay here and then he wouldn't end up dying you know, because let's say it's a dangerous third world country and he could give so much money because he's doing really well, he's really successful, he could send 10 missionaries out with the money he pulls in. So it seems obvious that he should not go, he should stay so that he can keep making money. Or is it obvious? You guys kind of see the questions I'm getting into here? And more and more, when I do counseling with people, well, not more and more, because I haven't done that much since I uh, went, I mean, I do some as a minister, but not like I used to, but in counseling more and more, people have a view of their marriages and even their children as far as, well... I can only control me, so I have to do what works for me. And we see a lot of strife in marriages, a lot of strife at work, a lot of strife really between parents and children, and a lot of strife, look at the world around us right now. It really seems to me like everybody's trying to do what works for them. Does that mean we should do what works for us? Because if only the evil people are doing what works for them, and the good people aren't doing what works for them, then the evil people are going to win, right? Are you guys with me? It looks like Andy possibly has a headache. Yeah, I do that. So, I want to challenge how we decide what's good and what's bad for instance i have noticed in the political arena that people on whatever side they're on tend to go well you know what maybe that's a dirty trick but sometimes you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet it's okay they're already doing the, the dirty tricks we should do the dirty tricks too because they're the bad guys and we're the good guys." So whatever it takes for the good guys to win is what should be done. That is the attitude in the United States of America. Lots of poker faces this morning. That's all right. All right, so I want to look at the three different types of ethics, and I want us to consider, as Christians, how do we decide what's right and what's wrong? Let's not be dumb about it. Let's be educated. So there's three basic types of of ethical systems out there. There's deontological, and I'm not using big words so you'll be impressed. You're already impressed by the size of my skull and its own gravitational system, the planets that orbit it. So I don't need to impress you. And then there's the utilitarian view, which I've been talking about, basically what works. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me that's utilitarian and then there's virtue ethics which we should try to embody a set of good qualities all right fair enough well let's talk briefly about these deontology that's just a weird word it basically means following the rules why don't you just say following the rules I don't know so the Ten Commandments are a good example of deontology right the Ten Commandments, recite them now. I'm just kidding, don't do that. They're on the screen if you can see that. Um, so, I have preached before about the law of freedom, and as Christians, you've probably heard a lot of sermons about how the law is dead, we live a life through Christ. If you read through Romans, you'll see that. But that's not exactly 100% true. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12, my slide says, verses 9 through 14. So we're going to look at two sides of this deontology issue. All right, in verse 9, Jesus went on from there and entered into their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, so, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They did that so they could accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take a hold of him and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? Um, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched out and is restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So here Jesus is like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm technically breaking the rules, but there's a life at stake here. If you had a sheep that was about to die, wouldn't you reach out and lift? Would you call that work? Well, people are a lot more important. So then Jesus is saying deontology is dead. It seems like everything in the New Testament is saying that deontology is dead is dead. Well, not exactly. Matthew chapter 5. This is something Jesus famously said. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish deontology. Do not think that I have come to abolish the rules, abolish the law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. in the kingdom of heaven for I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven how are you feeling now Andy there's blood coming out of your nose this is getting confusing I don't know why I'm picking on you it's all love it's agape love for you that I'm picking on you yeah it is trust me Um, okay I'm confused so, on the one hand, Jesus can break the rules, but on the other hand, he says anyone who teaches you to break the rules will be least in the kingdom of heaven. So, is following God about rules or not? We'll answer that next week. No, I'm just kidding. That was too far. All right, let's talk about the next type. I'm leaving it as a question right now because I want to drive you insane so that you'll be like me. All right, Consequentiali- con- let me try that again. consequentialism is doing what works. Wait, where's my hilarious? There we go. Doing what works, right? And we talked about doing what works. If you have to do a little bit of evil, it's okay to do a little bit of evil so that you can have a greater good. I'm not really saying that. That's the point. That's the view of consequentialism. And some would argue that that's what Jesus was doing since well it's greater some people have argued that that God allowed Jesus to be killed because the the death of Jesus is small in comparison to the life that he's brought to all humanity. Okay, and if you're a Star Trek nerd, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. I will always be your friend. Okay, let's go to John chapter 11. This is not a biblical view but weirdly one of the Pharisees in thinking that this was a good thing actually prophesied what Jesus death actually meant. John 11 verse 45 Many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had even seen what he what Jesus Did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus has done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, "All right, what are we going to do? This man performs many miracles, which gives him a lot of cred um, for the Jews. Um, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him." And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see what they're saying here? If everybody believes in this guy, we're all going to die. So therefore, wouldn't you say that keeping the, the place that they live and the nation alive outweighs anything that happens to any one particular person? Because... If one person dies, it's not that big of a deal. But if the whole nation dies, well, what then? Verse 49, this is what Caiaphas argues. It was a high priest said that year. you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So the Pharisees were even saying, you know what, maybe it's evil to kill this guy. He's obviously a prophet because he's done a lot of signs. Even the Pharisees had to say, look, he's doing a lot of signs. Clearly, there's something special about him. Clearly, he is a prophet. But let's think about this. If everybody follows him, the Romans are going to crush us and burn the place to the ground. The irony, of course, is that because they didn't follow him, that's exactly what the Romans did. And that's the problem with trying to use consequentialism. When you say we have to do what works, who are you talking about? Works for whom? Who does it have to work for? The greatest number of people? Who does that have to work for? The heads of government? Who does it have to work for? The powerful people? The second part is when you base your decisions on what's going to bring the best outcome You can't tell the future. You don't know what's going to bring the best outcome. You just don't know. You can't tell the future. The third thing, and this is the worst part, is just like what happened to Jesus, when you start justifying what you're doing by saying, well, look, we have to do this for the greater good. It's for the greater good. It's for the greater good. Then you start doing really, really messed up things. During the time of the kings when there was a drought, people would panic because there's no food. What are we going to do? We're going to have a famine. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Instead of turning to God, they turned to the gods of the Canaanites. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 20 and 21. Okay. Ezekiel says to them, you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to Me, and these you sacrificed to those gods to be devoured. Were you whoring such a small matter that you slaughtered My children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? What is Ezekiel talking about? He's talking about worship of Molech. This is a real thing. People said, look, we've had drought two years in a row. We're all about to die. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm telling you, the way they've gotten out of this in the past is Moloch, the great god Moloch, is angry. He's angry and we're all going to die unless we fix it. And I'll tell you what Moloch demands He demands the sacrifice of a child. And they'd make a child walk to Moloch. In other words, there's a big fire going in a statue to Moloch. And they'd push, drag, or throw a child into the fire. Which if you read through Kings, is kind of a last straw for God. You're wondering, why did God destroy His own nations? This is, this is one of the biggies. This is, this is the anvil that breaks the camel's back. God is patient. But there are certain things that are even beyond Him. And you think, well, I could never do that. Yeah, but once you start saying, you know what, it's for the greater good, the problem with doing things for the greater good is that you can do incredibly evil things. The Israelites weren't more evil than you and I. They were led farther astray, which is why I'm talking to you right now to get us back on the right road. Because if you think that you're not being pulled in these directions by the world around you, give your head a good old shake. You're living in a fantasy land. You and your children and your children's children are all being pulled in this direction you are definitely being pulled in this direction it's for the greater good you know what sometimes you just have to do the wrong thing for the right reasons that is becoming the pervasive view and if you think about it it's more of your worldview than will probably make you comfortable which is why we need to talk about this hopefully it's not but let's let's not lie to ourselves let's be honest about it okay all right last, last uh, ethical model virtue ethics and um, if we go to galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 23 you guys are probably familiar with this but let the but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I contend that the Bible is closest to a virtue-ethical system than any other type of system, but I'm also going to show you how it's not a virtue ethics system. Because I can throw a bunch of different Scriptures at you that I'll tell you to do different things. So you're like, okay, which one is the prime one? Jesus in in the scripture um, that Jesse read this morning, um, said that you know it is, there is something to virtue ethics because what you the only way you're going to get those fruits of the spirit is to be planted, in the right place so the thing that the Bible the thing that Jesus is asking you to do is not just change the kinds of decisions you make but to change what kind of person you are the people who say that people who point to Galatians 5 and say well then that makes the Bible a virtue ethics system They're leaving something out. And this is, if you've been in our study on Wednesday night, you'll know about this. And we'll go ahead and read it right now. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, So, Which commandment is the most important commandment? He has a deontological view. And Jesus said, well, there is a most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second one is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment. Greater than these. The problem with these ethical systems, I hope you can kind of see, with all this debate that goes on amongst really, really smart, highly paid, very educated Christians and and non-Christians alike, is they're trying to say, what's the best way to live? How do we make these decisions? One of the things that's popular, uh, it's been unpopular been popular on YouTube for the last few years is the, the train experiment. If there's a train heading down a hill and it's going to kill five people but you can hit a switch and it'll flip over and go down another track and just kill one person. Should you do nothing and be innocent of murder or should you hit the switch and save a bunch of people? Everyone's, the reason why these are popular is because everyone's kind of at sea right now. They don't know, well, how do we base decisions? In our colleges and our high schools, as I said, cheating is getting to be a bigger and bigger thing. Amongst powerful people, cheating is big. My glimpse into the the few powerful people I have known tells me that they definitely have a sometimes you've got to kick someone in the face to get ahead kind of view. But that's success by the world's definition of success, not by God's definition of success. God's definition of success is the Son of God came down and He didn't count equality with God as something that He needed to hold on to, but He let go of it and made Himself the least of all people to the point where they tortured him to death in front of everyone. Here's the problem with all these ethical models. Jesus points it out in Mark chapter 12. And I talked about it at the beginning of this lesson. In the beginning, there was no separation between heaven and earth. And when God made the world, He made it perfect and beautiful. And God walked amongst men. He walked and talked with His children. And then sin entered the picture. And because if we're stained by sin, we'll die in the presence of God. God had to remove Himself from us so that we would not die. He gave us rules to follow. We couldn't follow them. And so He sent His Son, God in the flesh, so that once again, God might dwell among us. And when Jesus left, He said, I will send you the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So if we repent and are baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that gap between heaven and earth becomes closed again. And in trying to come up with an ethical system, we're trying to separate God out of our lives again by saying we just want a set of rules we can follow. We want a set of principles we can write down and carve on stone and put on the outside of our buildings and tell our children this is always the right way to do things. We can't do that. We can certainly say, well, maybe virtue ethics definitely is a lot more biblical. Deontology is more Old Testament. Jesus showed a new way. But the real problem is you can't (laughs) separate God from your life. And if you watched my Out of the Pulpit, which apparently had a really bad thumbnail on it, so people don't know what it's about. They think it's about money. It's not about money. It's about the Illuminati, Penny. It's about the Illuminati, so you'll like it. Just kidding. It talks about God in our lives. We can't have a system of knowing what's right and wrong outside from love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Because only God knows what's right. We have to do everything in humility, and in prayer. We can't make decisions based on rules we carry in our back pocket. Hang on, like we're calling plays from the sidelines. No, I got uh, 44 blue, yep. We can't call plays to our children and to our world where if a and B and C, then I can tell you exactly what the right decision is. The only way to know the right thing to do is to get down on your knees and say, God, I, Your humble servant, want to know what I should do. And that's what Fred said this morning. Because he's right. You have to get up every day and say, God, what do You want me to do now? And when you leave this building today, you have to say, God, what do You want me to do now? Even When the invitation song comes, you have to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do now? That's how you have to live every hour of your life. That's how Jesus lived every hour of His life. And I want to change how you think. Stop thinking that you know things. You don't. Only what is good. Jesus said, why do you ask what is good? Only God is good. There is no good in the universe apart from God. So change how you go about your life. Change how you view the world. We were talking yesterday about what we should watch on the news or what we shouldn't watch on the news. We're trying to decide. Well, what's the right amount to... You know what? Don't decide. Ask God. We face so much stress in this world because we don't know what to do. Who has ever lived through something like this? Aren't we living in a weird time? People have lived through much worse things, but no one has exactly experienced 2020 except us. All the formulas go out the window. There are no formulas. There's no playbook. There's no algorithm that will tell us what to do. The only way we're going to know what to do is to ask God and believe when he points us in the right way that that is what we shall do amen so let's change how we're thinking let's stop being stressed out oh, i don't know what's going to happen you know what calm down this isn't your universe it's god's universe i see people getting so red you're wrong i disagree with you ah! who cares God controls the world around us. Your job is not to figure out oh, how I got to make sure that guy doesn't become president. I need to make sure those people on Facebook, people don't listen to them. I got to make sure that the good that the good goes through. No you don't. You need to chill out. Sit back and stop trying to fix the world around you and stop saying I am right, others are wrong. You need to say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And I can guarantee you, it's almost certainly not blast somebody on Facebook. I can almost guarantee you, if you've got the phone in your hand, uh, i got a good one. Matter of fact, we were talking about this yesterday. The reason I don't post on Facebook, most of the time what I have to say, I think is super hilarious. But would probably end up hurting somebody's feelings and you know what i asked god God's <laughs> should i all right fine god what do you want me to do you know what god probably don't want you to spend that much time on facebook in the first place right i'm not calling anybody out specifically i honestly don't look at facebook close enough to know which ones of you are being stupid I don't know. I don't care. That's between you and God. My job is to tell you to stop being stupid. Live in the peace and joy of knowing that your Creator God is interested in every second of your life and wants to be in there helping you like any good father wants to be in there helping you. Your job is to say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? What's the right thing to do? My brain can't figure out the right thing to do, even with all these beautiful ethical systems and libraries full of arguments about what's the right way to do things. The only way, I still don't know what the right thing to do is because I am not God. So God, You tell me what to do, and I will do it, no matter how scary it is to me. That's their thinking that I want you to change. And some of you, you know, we haven't had people come forward and ask for prayers a whole lot. I don't know, I guess. I find it hard to believe that there isn't someone who needs something and then they went home and they're like, eh, the church, they're not, they're not there for me. You know what? We sing this song just because we like to sing a song at the end of the sermon. No, we sing this song because if there's something you need and you haven't been able to walk up to somebody and say, hey, I need help which you can do 24-7. I or the elders, if there's something you need, call us. There's other people in this church that aren't elders that you can call. We do the invitation song because sometimes we walk in here with our heart heavy, and we walk out with our heart heavy, and we're not saying, God, what what do You want me to do? We're saying, well, that might be embarrassing. People might think I'm this... Who cares? Stop trying to run the whole universe. Why don't you do what God asks you to do? And if God says, look, you're walking in here hurt, and you're going to walk out of here hurt and not say anything, that is not My will for you. I don't know who's all Christian here today. Most of you are Christians. I know most of you. Maybe some of you are. I don't know. you got to do what God says. If you're not a Christian, please come be, become baptized so that you can live in the joy and peace of God. If you have a need or a joy something ask yourself right now what does god want me to do ask yourself that what does god want you to do right now what does god want you to do i don't know i'm just the dude with the tie thank you i do ask right now that you say god what do you want me to do If you have a need or you just have a praise, if there's something God's calling you to do, come do it now while we stand and we sing this song.